will disagree is the uh, series will be in for a few weeks, and uh, it's an applicable one, obviously, because we have all had disagreements with someone, right? In fact, maybe even this morning, you had an experience of applying this particular series to your life. Maybe it was on the way to church. How much could possibly break out on the way to church, right? And yet, coming to church is sometimes the most volatile period of time in a person's week. It seems like things just can fall apart on the way to church at times, and uh, many times it's over disagreements. You know, we disagree over different stuff. And so you've experienced this. I've experienced it. Uh, you know, for all of us, disagreements just have a way of creeping in to our lives. Well, the good thing is in the series, number one, is going to be applicable. Number two, Scripture has a lot to say about this specifically. And so just kind of get yourself in the frame, the right frame of mind. Ask yourself, just kind of do a little inventory right now. When was the last time you had a disagreement with someone? Don't answer this out loud, right? We don't want to get awkward. When was the last time that you had a disagreement with someone, and then also ask yourself, how long did it last? What was it about? And has it ended? You know, a lot of times what we find is that we're in disagreement with different people, and uh, sometimes those disagreements aren't just a simple point in time. Many times they linger and they go on and on and on to the point to where it ends up affecting other areas of our lives because we haven't hashed out, we haven't navigated properly that area of disagreement. And it happens in almost every area of life. You've experienced, for those of you that are married, you've experienced it in your marriage where you and your spouse disagree. Sometimes it's minor disagreements that really don't matter a whole lot. Other areas of uh, disagreement may, may have had some real implications in your marriage, right? You just haven't been able to move past some significant areas of disagreement for you. For others, it's in the workplace. You might have that coworker, right? It's that guy down the hall, the third cubicle over from you that you just can't get along because you disagree on almost everything. If you can't think of that guy, you know what? You're probably him, right? Other people from your workplace are thinking about you right now saying, yeah, that's that guy, right? Three cubicles down for me. It happens in every area of life. It happens when your kids are playing rec ball or sports or some, you know, they've got a coach and you're not the coach and you know everything about coaching, but their coach doesn't know anything about coaching. And so you disagree with their coach. It just bleeds over and it kind of goes on from there. Uh, it, 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 it's almost in every facet of life, even within the church. In fact, the only safe area Wow, this is like some disagreement music there. I disagree with that selection and timing of music. It seems like the only area where we can be free from disagreement, it seems, is social media, right? Facebook and Twitter, right? No, that is a cesspool. That is a petri dish of disagreement. If your life is boring and you're getting along with everybody, hey, just uh, create yourself a Twitter account. That is where it goes on right there. I mean, get on Facebook and say something controversial. You'll have everybody agree with you, and life will be so, so easy. No, no, life, it's just it, disagreement is a, is a part of it. So Pew Research did a... Um, they did a survey back in April of this year. Now, remember, a lot has happened since April, but they did this survey of people in April of 2021 of this year, and they were basically ranking the biggest problems in the U.S. Now, we're going to use this as somewhat of an example. And, uh, and so they asked, what are the biggest problems in the U.S.? Uh, they asked the area of violent crime, right? So violent crime, 48% of the people who responded said that violent crime is a very big problem in the U.S. You know what that means? 48% said violent crime is a very big problem. You know what that means, right? 52% would disagree. 
I mean, by, by, by nature, 52% did not list violent crime as a very big problem. In fact, 15% said it's a small problem. The COVID outbreak, remember this is April, this is when things were beginning to get better, 47% said COVID uh, is a very big problem. That means 53% would disagree. 16% said it's small. International terrorism, again, April of this year, 26% said it is a very big problem. 29% said it's small. It's just areas of disagreement. When you think about the topic of disagreement, there are going to be a couple of principles that we need to establish. Today is just kind of an intro into the series. We're going to hit some things that are going to come out as we move through this series, specifically over these next few weeks. But the first thing I hope you'll jot down, the first principle is, is this, that disagreements are a fact of life. I mean, they happen. You cannot avoid them. You are not going to be able to leave this place today and say, you know what, I hope to come to a place of spiritual maturity in my life. In fact, I'm even going to make it happen this week to where I am going to agree with everybody. It is not going to happen. Disagreement is a fact of life. Disagreements occur. They happen in marriage. They happen with close friends. They happen with strangers. They happen interpersonally with other people. They happen from a distance on social media. I mean, disagreements are going to come in our lives. In fact, the goal for us is not necessarily to try to avoid those as we're going to see in just a second. But when we think about these disagreements, we need to realize that some disagreements can be helpful, right? Sometimes I need people to disagree with me because my thought is not right. My opinion is not right. My perspective is not complete. And I need someone to say, you know what? I just disagree with that. And here's why. And to do it in a way that's humble, to do it in a way that's loving, to do it in a way that's encouraging for me, right? To disagree with me in the right way. I need that and you need that too. Sometimes we need disagreement because it adds perspective. It adds a little flavor to life. I mean, disagreement can be a good thing or disagreement can bring an end to relationships. Disagreement can bring an end to friendships. Disagreement can create friction in a marriage. Disagreement can lead to bitterness. Disagreement can lead to anger, right? It can go one of two directions. Disagreements can be good, they can be helpful, or they can absolutely destroy and bring about great harm and great hurt as a result. Disagreements are a fact of life. Principle number two, disagreement does not have to mean, ultimately, it doesn't have to equate to conflict or anger. It doesn't have to mean that. A lot of times when we hear the word disagreement, maybe you even thought this when you heard that this was going to be the next message series, you thought, man, this is going to be good. We're going to talk about how to have a fight with people who don't think the way we do and aren't enlightened the way we are, aren't as smart as us. We're going to talk about how to, how to go toe-to-toe with them and help to get them over to our side. This is going to be a great series, all right? That may be what you thought. And what you were thinking was disagreement is something that is negative. Disagreement is something that is, it has some, some level of hostility attached to it. It means anger. It doesn't mean anger. Disagreement doesn't have to mean conflict necessarily. It can be something that is beneficial for us if we navigate it the right way. The bigger issue is not avoiding disagreement. The the bigger issue is navigating it and managing it well. And the good thing is God has given us tracks to run on in this big book called the Bible. So a few years ago, my family and I, we went on vacation. Part of our vacation was we went to Helen, Georgia, and we tubed down the river there in Helen, Georgia. How many of you have done that? It was like the whole first service just about. All right, a lot of you have. And so if you've ever done that, you realize a couple things. Number one, that river is cold, all right? They open the dam up back, you know, up further up the river in the morning, and then everybody's got to get their $5 inner tube, and you get your Moses staff that looks like, you know, you came right out of the Old, Old Testament there. 
and, uh, and you jump in that water, and it is cold. There is no easy way to do it. You typically just sort of fall in and get into your raft, and then off you go. And for the next four hours, what you also learn is that that river, <laughs> at least in Helen, Georgia, is filled with rocks. All right? I'm talking big old rocks, big old massive rocks. And what happens is you realize they didn't give me this staff to look like Moses when I get my picture made back at the outpost at the end. If I survive, they gave me this rock, they, they gave me this big old staff so that I could navigate these rocks that come. And whenever we went as a family, what often happened was if I wasn't stuck on a rock myself, I was trying to help get my kids off of the rock that they were stuck on. Right? And, and so the whole time down the river, you'd have like rock, 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 ow, 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 ah, 10 seconds of coast, ow, rock, rock, ow, ow, rock, rock, ow, 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 ah, 15 seconds of coasting. That was, that was sort of the four-hour trip. What you had to do was not avoid the rocks. That was impossible. You could not avoid the rocks. They came with the river, right? When God made the river, he said, I'm going to give you some rocks, and there, there they went, right in there. The, the, the goal was not to avoid them. What you had to learn to do was use the instrument that you had been given to navigate the rocks as part of the journey, and disagreement is much the same. You're not going to avoid it. It's impossible to avoid disagreement. It comes with life. It comes with relationship. But God, again, has given us a tool called the Bible. He's given us wisdom. He's given us the Holy Spirit, right, to help us to navigate the disagreements that come in our lives so that his goal is accomplished. And many times what we find is his goal in the midst of disagreement is a lot different than our goal when we face times of disagreement. So let's go ahead and jump in here. John chapter 17 is where we're going to start. We're going to look at a few passages of Scripture. Again, just sort of introing everything today, laying some groundwork we're going to build on as we continue in this series. John chapter 17 is our starting point. So here's the background for John 17. If, if you look at this chapter, what you'll notice is pretty much all of it is in red. It is Jesus speaking. And he's not just speaking, he is praying specifically to the Father. And as he prays, he's praying for his immediate disciples, 11 of them. Judas has already gone on to do what he was going to do. And he's praying ultimately, or he's about to, he's, and, and then he's praying also for you and for me. This is called the high priestly prayer. It's this picture of Jesus interceding between God the Father and sinful man and, and preparing to unite us together right through his work on the cross. And so he prays this lengthy prayer. It is the whole entire chapter just about of John chapter 17. And as he prays here, at the very end of this prayer, he's going to leave and he's going to go to the garden and it's there he's going to be falsely arrested and he's going to be illegally tried and he's eventually going to be crucified. I mean, this is one of the last things Jesus does before all of the machinery begins to turn surrounding his crucifixion. And so in John 17, he's praying for us. And it's interesting what he prays. He prays a lot of things. We're going to pull out just a couple as it relates to our series today. And so let's jump in. John chapter 17. Let's begin verse 19. We're going to read down through verse 21. So Jesus is praying and he says, for their sakes... When he says there, he's referring to believers, those who would follow Christ, Christians. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, right? I don't just ask, Father, for these disciples right here in front of me, 
but for those also who believe in me through their word. That would include you and me 2,000 years later. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. There is a lot packed into those three verses. <laughs> that, that, I have, I, I have never had a more well-timed <laughs> that. If you're watching it online, that is worth a hundred dollar donation right there. Just kidding. That was impressive. Wow, man! If you can see the guys embarrassed up in the sound booth. <laughs> Wow. No, see, it's just once, just, no. All right, that was unplanned, obviously. So, so Jesus is saying here, there are two things specifically that are standing out as it relates to this topic of disagreement. Number one, notice what he prays again in verse 19. He prays specifically he even he uses wording that cannot be argued. He prays specifically that we will be sanctified in truth. What does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be set apart. To be sanctified means that we're set apart to God. We're set apart to his purposes. We're set apart to his will. He says, Father, I pray for them, for these disciples in front of me, for the other ones that are going to come afterwards. That includes you and me. He says, I pray that they'll be sanctified, set apart specifically in truth. Right? So truth is key. Understand this. He says, I want them to be set apart. I want them to walk in and to live by my truth. That has to be their standard for living. But then he also prays as he continues in verse 21, he says that they may all be one. Right? He prays that, that we as believers are sanctified in truth, but he also prays there in verse 21 that believers live in unity. That we live in unity together, not uniformity. That's a different word. It doesn't mean we all think alike. Now, I'm not talking about the root of doctrine or truth as God has conveyed it. Yes, we need to all uniformly embrace that. But outside of that, there are still going to be different ways of looking at life. There are going to be different opinions. There are going to be different perspectives. Jesus didn't pray for uniformity in that way. He prayed for unity. So two things he prays for, God, help them to be, uh, or make them sanctified in truth, and, pr and I pray also that they're able to live in unity together. When it comes to disagreement, there are a couple of non-negotiables. Now, we're not talking about disagreement over whether or not Jesus is God, even though this, these non-negotiables will apply to that. This is in the normal, everyday disagreements that come in life over perspectives and over opinions. It applies across the board, but there are two non-negotiables. The first is this, that when it comes to truth, truth must never be compromised. We cannot compromise truth. We can never compromise truth for the sake of preserving a relationship. That will only rear its ugly head somewhere further down the road. We always stand on truth. We always live by truth. If we don't, we suffer the consequences later. Non-negotiable number one in dealing with disagreement is that truth must never be compromised. 
Non-negotiable number, number two is that relationships must be prioritized. Truth cannot be compromised. Relationships must be prioritized. When we have disagreements that come in our lives, more often than not, even when churches split, right, and when churches begin to divide and when churches have disunity and their fractured relationships, even there, what often happens, whether it's in marriage, whether it's in church, whether it's on the, in, in the workplace, whether it's in friendships, what often happens is typically our disagreements don't center around truth issues. They center around uh, opinion slash uh, perspective issues. Right? And where we clash with people and where we disagree, whether it's on social media, whether it's, it's in person, regardless, most of our disagreements don't center around truth issues. They center around opinion issues, right? preferences. You know, this, this is my opinion. This is my preference. That's where the disagreement often comes in. And what, what we have to learn to do is to to stand on truth while at the same time prioritizing the relationship. We as Christians especially, we've nailed the stand on truth part down really well. What we often are not so good at is that we let a relationship get away and be broken while we stand on truth because we didn't prioritize that relationship and find a way to navigate that terrain. Jesus died for the ones that he disagreed with. Jesus died for the people who disagreed with him so badly they hung him on a cross. Right? Even saying from the cross, Father, forgive them. For they don't even know what they're doing. He stood on truth. And he prioritized the relationship. There were times when Jesus would deliver very difficult truth to hear to people. So, truth, it was so strong that the people themselves may walk away from him and the relationship may end, not because of Jesus, but because they weren't willing to stand in that truth as well. He would deliver very difficult, hard things to say at times, but he would do it in humility. He would do it with love and he would do it in a way that prioritized the relationship. Last Sunday, I used an illustration that if you were here, if you saw it online, uh, it, it included some bins. Walmart was really glad to see me coming last week and then again this week as well. And uh, in the illustration, I won't rehash the whole thing for you again, but I laid out a bin, uh, a little tiny bin that kind of represented you like this. And in that illustration, what I did was I, uh, I had a little box inside of it that said sin. And, uh, and I demonstrated how when we give our lives to Jesus, we lay down our sin and we place our faith in Christ. What happens is, is that God forgives our sin. He takes it out because Jesus paid for it on the cross. And he gives us the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. I put a little box that Holy Spirit there. And if you were here last week, then what you remember was that I also took that box that said you, and I placed it inside of this particular bin that says Christ. And the reason for that was because of Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, that says our lives have been hidden with Christ in God. In fact, I even went further last Sunday. I'm not doing it again this Sunday, but I had a bigger bin that said God, and I dropped this one inside of it because our lives as Christians are hidden with Christ in God, right? There is security there. That's what our identity is. 
Well, today I just kind of want to twist it just a little bit, and I want these other bins to represent some other people as well that maybe you have met along the way, or maybe some people somewhat like them. Here's the first person. This person, this is kind of random. This person loves to watch CNN and loves to argue politics. And when he's not watching CNN, he's watching Fox News. <laughs> but he always argues. He's very wealthy. This person, have you met him? He's incredibly generous. He'll help anybody. He believes the unvaccinated should be punished <laughs> and that drums are of the devil. You ever met that person? But he's also a follower of Jesus. And you know what? He's in Christ with you. Here's another one. You met this person? She doesn't even watch TV news. She forms her opinions on her own. She's vegetarian, and she really wonders why you're not. <laughs> She's read the Bible five times, five times. She believes the pastor preaches too long. I can't disagree with that. I did first service at least. And you know what? She's a follower of Jesus right there with you. Here's another one. <clears throat> this one's highly Calvinistic. Do you know what that means? Lots of warm, fuzzy conversations in that debate. But he's also incredibly volatile on social media. He's forming a petition currently at this moment to address the temperature in the worship center at First Baptist Church of the Islands. <laughs> and he's a Florida Gator. There is no, I mean, come on. I mean, really? Is this even possible? I mean, it's like a magnet. No, no, this person is also a follower of Jesus. This last person, she, she's struggling in her faith. She has serious doubts. She's battling addiction. Much of her theology and her beliefs about God are formed as much from Oprah and Dr. Phil as from the Bible. She believes masks should be abolished. But she has a heart for prayer like nobody's business. And she also is a follower of Jesus. You know, inside the body of Christ, there are a variety of perspectives and there are a variety of opinions and there are even different attitudes about how we apply certain truths of Scripture. Not everybody, let's just use this church as an example, thinks exactly the same way you do about things that aren't definitively dealt with in Scripture. In fact, there are even areas of Scripture where there is variance to where even the people in the first century didn't quite know how to unpack it. Now, those are no major areas of doctrine. There are areas of Scripture where different denominations today unpack in different ways because it seems as though there's some latitude there as to what Scripture says. 
But where the areas of Scripture are, de- are definitive and clear, we have no other option but to stand in that truth because truth cannot be compromised. Yet most disagreements don't navigate in that area of truth. It navigates over here in the arena of, as I said earlier, opinions and preferences. This just scratches the surface, right, of the different types of people that you are in relationship with on a daily basis, many of whom already have a relationship with God. And I think what Scripture is telling us is that we have to learn, let's just start inside the body of Christ. And if you're visiting here from another church from out of town or what have you, your church has to figure out the same thing. We've got to figure out a way how to make this box work as we stand on truth together in unity and prioritize our relationships. Again, how many relationships have been fractured? How many marriages have come to a place of such negativity? How many friendships have ended? How how much damage has been done? Not because of a truth issue, but because of an opinion issue that wasn't navigated the way that we should. What we're going to be seeing in this series specifically are going to be some ways that we can navigate disagreement in a way that preserves the relationship, stands on truth, and ultimately honors God. That's too much to cover in one message, but we're going to be covering that ground. Today, I want to give you yet another example before we close right out of Scripture of how this all played out specifically in a church called the church at Philippi. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul is writing a letter to this church. It was the first church that Paul had founded on the continent of Europe. It's the first European church that we know of that would have been rooted in the gospel. Paul planted this church in Philippi. You can read about that in the book of Acts. Here in the, in the book of Philippians, he's writing a letter to these Christians. And notice what he says in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, Paul loved this church in Philippi. He said, in this way, stand firm in the Lord, right? You cannot compromise truth. Verse 2, he says, I urge Iodia and I urge Syntyche to live in a harmony in the Lord. Now, who are they? Verse 3 tells us these are two women. We don't know anything about them. We don't know the nature of their disagreement, but there are a couple things that we can, I think, safely assume. Number one, we can assume that they're both followers of Jesus. They're both in that bin, right? And the reason we assume that is because Paul would have written this letter to the church and it would have been read publicly to the church. Everybody didn't get this email. (laughs) Everybody didn't get this text, right? It was a letter Paul wrote. It would have been read to the church. He would have understood that these two women, Iodia and Syntyche, would be sitting there in that congregation when the letter was read. We can assume that they're both believers. And we can also assume, I believe safely, that their issue of disagreement was not related to truth. Because had it been, Paul would have corrected them, and then he would have moved on. He would have said, these two ladies need to straighten up their thinking, and they need to get it together because this one's right and that one's wrong, and here's the issue of truth that I want to lay out. Now let's move on. (laughs) He didn't do that. So we can assume that their area of disagreement would have been more than likely not truth-related, likely related to preference or related to opinion. This unity was so important. Look at what Paul says in verse 3. He says, indeed, true companion. We don't know who that person is. Maybe it was the person who he knew would be reading this letter, maybe a leader within that congregation. 
He says, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. They, they've been with me through thick and thin in sharing the gospel. Together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Why would Paul name them by name? Because their uh, uh, disagreement was having an impact on the whole body. And he says this has to be dealt with. Remember John 17, Jesus said, I pray, Father, sanctify them in truth. I pray that they be unified, that they be unified the same way you and I are unified. Why? So that the others will see and will believe the message. Paul said they need to get this sorted out. They need to learn how to use the tools that God has given them, for us that's the scriptures, to navigate these rocks that come as it relates to disagreement. And the picture here, almost as you can imagine, you go back to the first century whenever they would have the gladiator fights, right, or the Christians rather, they would be thrown into the, you know, to the floor of the Colosseum for the lions to attack them. Right? That was one of the common persecutions in the Roman Empire. Let's throw the Christians in there and then let, set the lions loose and see who wins. Imagine that you're one of those Romans. You've come to the Colosseum this day to watch the show. And you see a couple of Christians get tossed down into the floor of the Colosseum. And then the lions are set loose. And imagine rather than the Christians fighting for their life against the enemy, they turn against each other and start fighting each other. And it's a ludicrous thought. Everybody up in the stands of the Colosseum would look down and just laugh. Oh, look at those idiots down there. I mean, what are they doing? This is, they're a laughing stock. There's the enemy that's trying to kill them, and they're down here arguing and fighting with each other. I mean, what a laughing stock. You can imagine what it would look like, and yet the world outside the church takes a look inside the church. And what often has happened in many, many churches, more than we can even count, is that while the world is dying and, and, and battling addiction and all these other issues that come in life because the enemy is having his day, on the inside, the people with the answer are just spending time fighting each other. I'm curious, in your past, I mean, God has blessed us with a, so much unity here, and it's only by his favor, but I'm curious, how many of you, by a show of hands, have been a part of a local church that has been similar to what I just described, with the fighting and the issues and the difficulties? I can guarantee you that in that community, it was like the people sitting in the stands watching the Christians fight, saying, this is ridiculous. That's what the world did to your church. And you know what? If we ever come there, that's what this community will do to this church. That's the danger that comes when we cannot navigate the rocks of disagreement in a way that stands on truth and yet prioritizes relationship. Jesus was the master. And thankfully, he's given a book called the Bible that helps us to master that as well. So I'll close with a question. Who are you in disagreement with right now? Right now. Who are you in disagreement with? What's hanging out there on social media? What coworker? What friend? What acquaintance would you say you're in disagreement with right now? Ask yourself, is it a truth issue or is it an opinion preference issue? And then ask yourself a final question. Do they know, in the midst of our disagreement, do they know that I prioritize our relationship. And if they don't, I think that's a step you need to take. And if you need to stand on truth, stand on it, but let them know that you value them. And let them know that you care about them and that you love them. And hopefully as you navigate the best you can those rocks of disagreement, you'll find 
you'll find that truth wins for both. And you'll ultimately find that the relationship was worth the fight. Let's pray. Lord, lots of ground to cover in this series. Certainly can't cover it all in one message. But Lord, I pray that we'll really be tuned in because all of us face disagreement. Lord, every one of us, many times it's with the people we love more than anybody else on this planet. Disagreements come. And Lord, we've all experienced the hurt that comes when disagreements aren't managed well. And so, Lord, thank you for giving us instruction in your word. Lord, help us to learn to apply that instruction, to use those instruments and tools. Lord, I pray that for now that you would teach us to stand on truth in a way that's humble and loving and that we would, as best we can, prioritize the relationships with those with whom we disagree. Lord, thank you that though we lived a life in full-blown disagreement against you and your truth, Lord, when we were in sin and thinking nothing of it, thank you, Lord, that there you loved us enough to come and to convict us of our sin and to show us what we needed to do, to turn, it, turn, to turn away and to place our faith in Jesus. And Lord, thank you that you healed us that day and that you saved us. And so God, we, may we emulate that example as we prioritize relationships, as we're able to sort through our disagreements in a way that honors you, in a way that stands on truth and that values people. And so Lord, teach us, help us to follow. And we thank you for what you'll do. In Jesus' name.